Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another riveting episode of Role for Enterprise. Today, I'm going to be playing the role of Dominic, um, which is something I'm actually not particularly good at doing. And I'm jo joined by Mike Ianero, um, who's with us here today. And we are alone because Zach is on a beach and Dominic is on a hill on a mountain bike. And we're basically the schmoes that stuck doing work this week. So here we are. No, I, I think Dominic's on a beach. And Zach is at I I don't know he's he's gallivanting around Europe now so it's like we're 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 just left alone here. Uh, by I'm our, a little by worried gallivanting. You often pull a muscle, so let's hope he's okay. <laughs> he might be. He might be. We don't know. I, I don't know how they're both in Europe and not meeting up, but okay, they're, they're, they're keeping their social distance. So it's, you know, maybe bad. they should be doing the podcast from a bar in Sicily. That would be amazing. It would probably yeah, it would probably be more entertaining. But okay, we're we're we're, we're, we're here. At least we're holding the fort. We are. The fort. They yeah. owe us one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so today uh, we have a couple interesting sort of news bits, and I thought maybe we could just run through some of the some of the drama in the tech news this week. Um, the the first one is about Accenture uh, that seems to have confirmed a ransomware attack, which uh, is dizzying to think of the proportions and the impact of that. What was your first thought, Mike? Because I feel like ransomware attacks are your nightmare page in the middle of the night. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, look, uh, if you're a company and you get a ransomware attack, okay, it's it's one thing. And and but if you're a consulting company that has a pretty wide base, and you're one of those consulting companies that sell security services, yeah, that might be a little more serious than the regular ransomware attack. Um, the interesting part here is that. Um, you know, Accenture came out and said, yeah, we were hacked, but the system, we were, yeah, I guess ransomware, lockbit, yeah. And and they said they recovered the systems the next day, so not a big deal. But then the, the, the ransomware team, lockbit, doubles down and says, well, we have the data, so you're going to pay us $50 million or we're going to release the data. <laughs> Which, so now you got, you know, some Accenture customers wondering, wow, what kind of data are they going to release? Is that my data? All very, and you know, it didn't make the news that much, to be honest, but uh, yeah, quite interesting. So I don't know, it doesn't, I, I, it doesn't bode well, right? So we'll see no. how, how it shakes up. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? It's such a fascinating negotiation, right? Because I think 10 years ago or five years ago, when I was in the uh, availability sort of HA world a little bit more um, than I am now, this sort of idea of how quickly you can recover from a ransomware attack was super hot, right? That's how you got all your marketing leads. And um, and now, you know, they obviously did the right thing, which is create the right kinds of backups and HA in their environment and they're back up and running. But so therefore, right, the nature of the negotiation has changed. Now it's like we'll expose some magical information. Now, the question is, what is that magical information and who are you negotiating on the back of? Because as Accenture, like you said, they're a consulting firm. Whose data are they actually negotiating that 50 million dollars for? Is it their own? Because it could be their own tech yeah. cats, right? In which case I actually don't care as their yeah, customer yeah. and or it could be my data and it could be very sensitive and you know what what does it mean for Accenture to be the negotiator on behalf of some fortune 500 or some bank's data with a random ransomware provider who who's responsible you know and and I think yeah who who is responsible I, I think the other part here is like would you pay the ransomware I mean because Part of, I mean, if you read between the lines, it seems like Accenture is like, no, you didn't get the data. 
But what if they did get the data? Do you pay the 50 million because of who your company is? I mean, and, and then you admit that you're paying when they're probably consulting on people and saying, ah, don't pay, you need to recover, you know? So um, it's it's an interesting dilemma. I mean, I, I, I bet you they've been nonstop in, in war rooms uh, kind of uh, discussing and playing wow. out scenarios and trying to figure out what really happened. But, but this company has even a countdown going on when they're going to release the data. So it's, it's quite daunting. Um, of course, right? That's rule number one of negotiations is control the timeline, right? That's yeah. like, this is step one, right? And so, of course, there's a countdown. There's probably a clock. I mean, anybody who's watched any good movie with a bomb that's about to go off, those bombs always have a nice big red clock. <laughs> on here, right? Um, I, it's amazing, though, because I think what does it mean to be the steward or the guardian of the data? Now I'm thinking forward, right, and saying, well, Accenture has this data, but is there a model for when we work with third parties where the data doesn't actually reside with them? Could we put it in a shared, more secure location where it, you know, it requires different kinds of authentication to get in there, and then a breach to Accenture isn't a breach to Accenture's customer data, for example? And that may be the case, by the way. We don't have enough information to assess that from the stories today. Do they have customer data or do they have internal dining hall menus? But there feels like there's a way to escrow the information yeah. in a way that is a little bit more secure. I think what what happens today when when companies work with consultants, they typically try to set up the so let's call it a data room, right? Um, yeah. Uh, for the company that's receiving the services, so that when the consultants go away, you end up keeping the data. But of course, you know the consultants are copying and working on their own terms, and there, yeah. so there is some data out there. And, and companies that work in this way, they typically have NDA signed where you can't share, can't do this, can't do that. Now, is that locked away and only certain people can get get to it? I, I don't know. And then if two companies that are in similar businesses have, let's say, a project where they're working together, typically then they use third-party data room so it's all in a third-party data room something gets printed there's like watermarks on it and that kind of stuff so there is um kind of different options for companies and some companies are, are thinking it out and others are not you know and the ones that are not are probably the ones that are, are worried so i think if you're a customer you're not worried that data will be your data will be lost right but you worry what of your data will get leaked because a censure had an issue and are they talking about things inside your company that maybe shouldn't be on the outside? I, I think that's the scary part. And you just don't know what the data is. But six terabytes, that is a lot of data. It's a lot of data. But again, it could be lunchroom menus in the last 15 years. And we don't necessarily <laughs> care, right? Yeah. It, or it could be internal. Like, I mean, we joke about it, but they have office plans and, you know, budgets and all these other things. And at Accenture, it's a big organization. There's plenty of very boring data. Um, but you know, it also could be M and A pipelines for massive companies. <laughs> These are yeah, yeah. all likely outcomes. So, um, I think you're right. I mean, I've worked with plenty of data rooms in my time, and certainly, and when we do when you do M and A transactions, you're living inside a data room. Um, but you know, I don't know. Certainly, not every consulting engagement I've been involved in has had that kind of structure. And I think this is a very interesting um, question. And I wonder to what extent, like what this sort of walks me down is this path of like, as you're evaluating a set of consultants and I've hired many in my time and been one in my time, like, are you submitting along with your proposal, your data security plan? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I think no one really thinks about it. You know, I, I have, um, I have someone who shall remain nameless who works at a consulting firm and he, you know, his biggest complaint, he goes, we'll sell like the most sophisticated HR software to them. We'll sell the most 
sophisticated security platform to anybody. But then when it comes to us, I feel like we're running on, you know, um, you know, duct tape and bubble gum because we don't have the tools that we even Our homegrown <laughs> antivirus is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and that's the that's the worrisome part. So you, you need to look at it, you know. I, I'm always very uh, intrigued by um, the image that people give off, like, especially when, like, people, like, if, if I'm having a meeting with a vendor or anything, what kind of, like, what laptops are they using? What kind of tools are they using? Are they asking me for guest Wi-Fi access in my building? Or do they bring like a, a mobile hotspot? Like these are things I look at because it's like, okay, how secure are they? How comfortable are they doing certain things? And yeah, do they do they believe they're just gonna, yeah, I, I don't, it, it's all, uh, again, it's it's image, but it's, it's stuff that I tend to look at when when I have face-to-face meetings with vendors. It feels like the green M&Ms in a, in a, in a rider, right? Like it's <laughs> like, if they're not, if they're not paying attention to this what are they paying attention to right yeah exactly if they're not spending on technology and coming in with some like uh, 10 year old laptops you're like ooh, i don't know that this is gonna really work so uh (laughs) you know the other interesting thing in in this accenture hacker what what they're saying is that they they had help of an insider uh which means like somebody within accenture helped them out to gain access which is a, a totally different like okay now you have a spy who's a spy and and um type deal, which gets a little scary to, to people. And apparently um, this company that uh, that hacked them is saying that they have, you know, insiders, they're looking for insiders at their company. So, you know, w- willing to pay millions. So it, it's, you know, the, the lure of money, you know, some people might do some, uh, some stupid things along the way. So, yeah, I think a, a very different threat vector to look at for, uh, for the security folks now. That's definitely true, though. I feel like that that's an interesting one. I feel like the movie plot behind that, right, or the Snowden plot behind that is interesting, right? But most employees, most of the time, aren't looking to sell their souls for a million bucks. And most employees, by the way, have way too much uh, information about the company. We don't isolate it. And, that, and that's so that we can get our jobs done, right? When you think of all the source yeah. code and yeah. all of the sales information and everything. And and so in theory, any sales guy with access to your CRM could do a, a dump or a screenshot or whatever of your of your customers and whatever and sell it for a million bucks. Like that's not a thing that's difficult to execute. Most people operate in good faith. And so then the question is, what brings somebody to decide not to operate in good faith? And that typically is very rarely is an Accenture employee motivated by the sort of Les Mis, Jean Valjean need to get some bread for his family because yeah. typically Accenture employees are paid. But then then the question is are they are they motivated then by some social justice cause or some feeling that they were wronged or some feeling that they are maligned or or otherwise pissed off and that feels to me like the more common motivator at a yeah. white yep. collar job now we're talking about how you're treating your employees and where you're looking for anomalous behavior and where you're looking for concerning behavior right which is i think more about um employee engagement surveys than anything else like now we're moving into understanding how to manage a workforce recognizing that they kind of all in some way hold some keys to some castle yeah and you know if you look at kind of what's happening overall i mean there's a lot of job movement i think if you look at tech salaries consultant salaries they're all taking some pretty big jumps out there in the market so you see a lot of movement of people and if you're somebody who feels like you're underpaid okay so a you're underpaid 
then if you realize you're underpaid, you're looking for a job, can't find a job, you start to get a bit disgruntled, and then you feel the company's taking advantage. Like it's it's a perfect recipe yeah. at this time in the market for this type of like exploit or taking advantage of an insider. So right. yeah, you know, it's um, you know, can they track it down how the who the insider was? Yeah, I, I bet they probably will, but it's probably going to take them a, a long time. Hopefully, I mean, that's uh, that some person's of the probably going to be gone, right? Yeah. Like, if I'm that person, I'm taking my money and I'm walking away. I also think, by the way, the pandemic might have an impact on that. To me, um, wronging someone who you or a company or a manager or whatever when you haven't seen the whites of their eyes in 18 months really changes the nature of the insult, right? Like it's just, it's much easier to to be angry at an amorphous organization than it is to the person sitting right in front of you making a joke about a ham sandwich. Like that's just a very different dynamic. And so I feel like the trust model within organizations has really been eroded over the last 18 months, making this a bigger vulnerability. Yeah. You know what it is? It's, uh, it's, I, I always, uh, tell people it's it's empathy because you don't see the person you don't understand what everything they're going through yep. uh, and because of that I think tension runs a little higher I mean um, I, I've been going to the office a little more now um, not full-time but a little more get to see some employees have chats with them I mean the water cooler conversation and all that it's it's really kind of changed things and yeah. I, I think we're making more progress because of it right so yeah, you can you can say all this about uh, kind of the work from home, but it's it's a bit different, and it's it, you know it's not even going back to the office, but it's the way we interact with people, right? So right. You, even the fact that travel is done, I mean, um, I think, um, and it would help if a lot of executives were on planes again, so they weren't be pushing their agenda all the time. Yeah, so. <laughs> get them out of the way for four hours while they fly to Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So this so. is a good pivot point, I think, in this discussion to um, if we're if we're not working, maybe we should be pretending to be working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turns out AI is coming for us. <laughs> AI is coming for us. Uh, so uh, there's an upcoming AI book. Uh, well, I'm going to really not do well with this name, Kai-Fu Lee. Um, and uh, it'll be in the show notes, but Fortune published an article, and this is quite interesting, right? So he's saying, you know, AI is going to do more and more jobs, um, which I can see, right? AI taking over some of the medial tasks. And we, and we see it happening some in some place in the industry, right? Uh, RPA, which is robotic process automation. Um, we see more and more on the automation front, um, where, which are taking some of the... Um, yeah, lower level tasks or the repetitive tasks and really automating them. Nothing new that's happening in, in technology, but I think we're at a level where it's getting much more sophisticated. There's some advanced decision-making being made. So um, yeah, I mean, the AI is able to do a lot more than it used to do a few years ago. And his, uh, his thesis in there is that we're going to have to kind of separate the smarter employees from the smart employees. I'll put it that way. Which means, and to do that, we're going to have to give them fake jobs and the pretense of working, and then we'll eva- we'll make the AI evaluate them and decide who stays and who goes. Quite dystopian, if you think about it. <laughs> what are your what are your thoughts here, Lilac? I mean, it's just horrifying. I I feel like what we're trying to do is to do to um, knowledge work. I'll say right because anybody with their hands yeah. on a keyboard doing to knowledge work what we thought we were trying to do to manufacturing work and operations work like two decades ago. This is something my father actually studied for his PhD. Um, So I was inoculated with this as a baby, I think. But this whole idea that basically you can measure the ever-loving bejesus out of 
humans in different contexts and determine from them what is success and what is not success. And I think like the the edge case proves the point though, right? Like the problem is is that is that people's successful skills emerge not in the basis situation, but when something interesting or anomalous happens. And then how do they recover from that? And I think that what is the, the data has shown on organizational behavior for decades. And again, like, unfortunately, I've been listening to it for decades. Hi, dad. Um, like, is, that, is that these metrics often really ignore the human factors of, of, of excellence that, that are far, far beyond what would be measured in a efficiency metric or an accuracy metric that might come off the back of a system like this. AI is not going to say, wow, that mic. He decided to pick up the phone and place a phone call and therefore um, resolved a problem much, much faster than had he gone through the 47 steps in the ticketing system, right? Like, in fact, it might even just, it might even say that's the wrong answer because you didn't go through the 47 steps in the ticketing system and therefore you are not compliant with the best practice, right? I think that if we're going to start measuring humans like this, we'll run into the same chasm of stupidity that happened in, in real manufacturing that we learned over time, there's some stuff that can be automated, but the humans on top of that system are critical. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, the whole evaluation system, I think brings into question, like you start to think of so many things, right? So who are you going to award? Like the rule followers and the ones who never deal with an issue? Because, because let's face it, the, the ones who have issues and don't need to like bring it up the chain to solve, who are good at like the risk management, those are the ones that should be rewarded, right? So how will this system kind of function in, in that aspect? Because I would rather have the people who can work autonomously, don't need to raise it. They they understand risk reward and they'll take some risks and, and not others. But but then again, like it, it, technically you probably want to reward the rule followers and, and that's the, um, and there's nothing wrong with rule followers. Like let, let's just uh, say that before I start to get a ton of uh, vicious hate mail there. But, um, <laughs> we but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, especially like managers and executives. I mean, the day-to-day job is really about managing risk i mean that that is everything you do all day long right so yeah this is um this is still kind of um yeah problematic how they're going to measure this yeah I'm, i'm very concerned about that i mean i feel like also what you're doing is you're sort of if you're measuring for rule following or if you're measuring for for things like that you you might be losing your employee pipeline right over time what you're wanting is actually not to promote the people who are most efficient at their jobs and God bless the people who are most efficient at their jobs. Right. But you, you actually want to be the ones who handle the exceptions. Like you said, because as you're moving up and up and up in an organization, you're, you're doing exception handling, you're doing decisioning on things that are not straightforward that AI actually couldn't solve. And so where are they getting that practice? If you're expecting them not to handle anything off band, that you know that's a fantastic point because i think the challenge is really getting started because now you need to make decisions on existing employees but once you're in this new state where okay ai is doing more work you have the employees you need then that pipeline will rebuild itself right and the people you bring in will be different people and so it's really going from like a to b before you get stable in b you're going to have some some pain here. And, mm-hmm. I, and I guess that's what he's referring to in there. But yeah, it's still dystopian. I mean, no way about it. I mean, yeah. And our company's really going to do this. I, I don't know. It never it never works out like this, you know, no. so 
Yeah. Well, there's other, there's so many other factors in employment, right? In, mm-hmm. in location, in culture, in the nature of the work. This is only going to, like, it's sort of reductively applicable to the most basic of call centers, right? And even now, when we think about the most basic of call centers, when you call an airline, 90% of the time, you're trying not to call the airline and you're doing it online. And you'd rather not actually have that engaged conversation with someone because it's just easier to go and handle it online. If we were on an airline world yet, I haven't touched the airline <laughs> website in, in so long. But but right, like that's the sort of idea that these situations are the most reductive that you could re- replace with an AI bot. Actually, now when I call an airline, I have a real problem and I need an actual human. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, there's still people that call for the other reason, but yeah, it's yeah. it's it's all over the place. And yeah, you're right. I mean automate what you can people to take care of the the fringe cases that's that's how it is now it seems like perhaps fedex has decided to go a step further and they went beyond automation to just straight out robots which i understand (laughs) will be ruling us soon man i I, have you watched so they're using some company called um berkshire gray Berkshire Gray, yeah, and um, you know, I, I looked at some of the videos. It's it's quite impressive, right? But it's kind of automating the assembly line or the packaging. I mean, it's it's looking at packages, deciding where they go, reading labels, doing all this. But you know, it's a it's a different problem that FedEx is solving for, right? They're saying like, hey, the growth we can't keep up, we can't find people. So okay, we're, we're going to start automating some of our distribution centers, distribution points, so on and so forth. Which to me makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you're you're really struggling, and I think this is more indicative of of what's happening and what's going to happen. Like all these people who think like AI and robots are going to create so much job destruction, I think there's a cost to bring that in, and it, it's not going to happen in the way we, we we imagine, right? The industrial revolution that like it, yes, it it destroyed some jobs, and you know there are people you can reskill and people you can't, but okay, overall at the end of the day, there will be more work. Uh, it'll be more technical. It'll be a different kind because we are creating jobs, but, and that's where, you know, if I look at what my kids are doing, what my kids are studying at their age, when I compared to what I was at their age, they're, they're much more advanced. And I think that will continue to happen uh, through history. Right. So it's, it's just the evolution, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, we spoke about the rise of the robots early on, on, on one of our, our podcast episodes and it's, it's continuing. It's just getting more and more impressive. I, I think my 10-year-old self is super disappointed that these videos of the robots are always just sort of like automated arms and, and UPC scanners and stuff, <laughs> not actually like fully humanoid robots. Like I want data from Star Trek to show up in sorts of packages. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the truth is that, you know, I think these are the situations where we welcome this kind of automation. And it's it's... And on top of it, by the way, there's humans that run these robots that tune them, that tune the model and the algorithm and fix the exceptions and handle, right? Like there's probably dozens of jobs associated, higher level jobs, higher pay jobs associated with implementing this kind of automation in a system. Yeah. You know, um, in your area there, there's uh, Boston Dynamics who does all the really cool robots. They were featured either last week or two weeks ago on 60 Minutes, like first film crew that goes in there and, and talks to CEO. They're now owned by... They're now owned by Hyundai or somebody because they've they've switched hands from Google to others. And that looks like, okay, you're replicating a human, kind of getting a little creepy. But 
but damn, I would love to have one <laughs> walk around the house, right? So um, you snap your fingers and be like, "I need some, I need a pop start." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And here it comes, right? So yes, and then and then you'd worry that he poisoned it because he's over you, and now he's yeah. going to overflow your household. <laughs> it's it's Terminator, yeah. It's it's right. it's Terminator all over again. Um, yeah, but I I think um, the the cost as the cost comes down, you'll see them in more places. I mean, manufacturing is the next place where it'll be it'll be big, right? I think Tesla had to kind of go back, and yes, we're talking Tesla again on their <laughs> their vision. It. Yeah, their vision of a, a fully automated line because robots weren't kind of small enough to get into some places. But I think uh, it, it, that that ramp up will continue and will continue to take people out of those jobs. And yeah, I mean, but okay. We need more robot makers. So robot makers of the world unite. <laughs> well, maybe let's just make the robots build themselves. I think that might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then what? Yeah, eventually they'll realize that we're just overhead and we are. Robust, yeah. We are, and we are really <laughs> hard to maintain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much right on. So uh, why don't we close out on a maybe a more frivolous topic? Because um, one of the robots that's or maybe it's a human that's been attacking your inbox, Mike, has been um, really trying to make a compelling sales pitch. And I have to say, uh, you've been sharing it with us as it is dribbled forward week after week from a sales rep, from a company whose name shall remain nameless, partly because I genuinely cannot remember it. Um, but I think the fun part is that they've been tempting you with various courses of a fancy steak dinner in the subject line. <laughs> You know, I've I've complained before about like I don't know what changed on, on LinkedIn or or who's telling marketing people that hey just harass people on LinkedIn now because LinkedIn has become a real nuisance with salespeople just like coming after you time and time again with and it's like you know at first you kind of engage and then you're like no this is garbage and then you don't engage and then so then you stop engaging with all people who reach out to you on link on LinkedIn and that's pretty much what's happened right so it's like but I have this I I have no idea who they are right? Let's, let's be straight. And I just get emails about going for a steak dinner and saying that the steaks here are like such a, like are, are perfect this percent of the time, just like our product. And, and then it continues like, okay, a week later, it's one like, Hey, creamy potatoes. This steakhouse has creamy potatoes to die for when we go in for lunch. And then the week after it's like, Oh, the chocolate mousse cake at this place is like to die for as well. You know, I'll just send you the gift card. And then I'm thinking like, oh, I get a gift card and now I don't need to talk to you. It just gets so it gets better and better. And then finally, and this just came today. It's like, oh, maybe you don't like any of this. Maybe you're afraid of root canals. So how about we just talk via email? It's like, no, like I have not responded to one email. It's just like delete every time, but it's getting entertaining now. So I, I can't wait what to see like <laughs> next week. Like. This it's is, terrible. I mean, you it's are terrible. opening them, right? And so therefore, they know you're opening them. <laughs> They're on to you. And they know you're entertained. Do right? they? Wait, wait yes. a second. Do they? Because I don't have read receipts. It doesn't download any pictures. Like, come on. They don't There's know that I'm open opening rate. them. There's an open rate in any Marketo email. Absolutely. No, come on. Yes. Come on. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If they're sending it through any kind of automated system, there's an open rate separate from the downloading pictures. Absolutely. And so, therefore... <laughs> I, I'm the naive non-marketer. All right. Now I need oh, to do God. some research here. Yeah. Stalking you. Now, of course, you're going to start getting steak dinners all over your Instagram. Because my phone's been listening to this conversation. And it now, has been go. listening. Your yeah. Alexa in the back is communicating all of this information. to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, you know, I, I think it's... I think it's interesting to sort of all of us who've been pitched and all of us who do the pitching, right? Like, what is it that's going to get me to actually pick up the phone? And for me, 
at least one of the things is that I'm often being pitched for something that I don't actually buy. Like I don't actually have the budget for it. So I'm not actually going to talk to you about it. Um, but I wonder what it would take, like, because it's obviously not steak. What is it going to take to make me say, actually, tell me more? Yeah, but the the thing is, I mean, look, the world has changed. I mean, most companies like like mine, I mean, there's there's business code of practices. Um, I mean, it it just doesn't make sense anymore. I mean, it's um, the the world has changed, and I, I don't think these are the type of of things that work. I mean, and it's a lot of it, if I'm reaching out or engaging, it's like, Hey, I'm working on a problem now. And man, you just hit my inbox at the perfect time where I'm going to engage on a, on a subject because it's something I'm interested in. The, the problem too, is like you call a salesperson to talk about something and it's like, man, for some reason they automatically think you're buying. It's like, no, I'm not buying. So yeah, it's just I mean, and awkward. that's why salespeople try to time their their things with what they know is a catalyzing event, right? End of contract, hardware refresh, whatever it is, so that you that you actually they are sending you the note in that moment that you might actually be interested in it, right? And so knowing that you're almost done with your contract for X Y Z, and that you know you might not like your vendor, maybe it's time to switch, right? Yeah, yeah, and, but and that's, that's nothing, not creamy potatoes. There's no creamy potato element to that. Most of the times. Like I want to reach out to a company, not because a company reached out to me. So you're going to target like, okay, who's the best to talk to in this particular domain interest that I need help with. Right. And, and most of the times, you know, it's not like I'm going to go through email and say, oh, who emailed me about this? I'm going to call peers. Hey, who have you had experience with? Where it is? So, you know, it's clear it's the relationship. I don't know how you start as a salesperson without any relationships in any given field. I mean, that has to be hard. Um, unless I guess you walk around with an AWS or Google or Microsoft badge, then I, I guess everybody wants to talk to you. But yeah, I, it's it's uh, it's kind of hard to start that that relationship, and it's not going to happen via email or, or whatever. So I think it also matters like who you're targeting, right? Everybody wants to talk to a CIO. CIO has got quite an email filter on it, right? When you're starting, usually you got to claw your way up from somebody who has the specific problem for your in yeah. your domain, and and sort yeah. of work your way up and then, you know, we sit around talking about how many CIO discussions we have. And the answer is usually not as many as you want because, because there's this feeling that that's the right thing to do. Um, but I, I don't know if, I don't know if creamy potatoes is the way to get it. It's no, no, it's, it definitely is not. Definitely not. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that I, I don't have anything against creamy potatoes, but let, let's, let's just say it'll be in the, in the privacy of my own home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think we really closed that one right now. I think with that, maybe we uh, uh, round out this particular two-person news roundup, um, which I feel, uh, I think this went reasonably well for just two of us. I definitely miss Zach, who I understand is at a phone party in Ibiza right now, and Dominic, who I'm still hoping hasn't careened down a hill on a bike. Um, but Mike, I think this went pretty good, right? This one pretty good. We might be alone next week too. I don't know what the plan is next week, so let's let's figure that out. We'll I, find I out. <laughs> I don't know what part of the world they're going to be in, but okay, we'll we'll be here. We'll it's be always here, a so. wild ride. Yeah. So yeah. so let's see. Um, what do we say at the end of these things? I think that there is some music playing underneath my voice by Dominic's friend Renato Podesta, which I will not say with the same beautiful accent that he does. I think you can find us on Twitter at Roll the Number Four Enterprise and on LinkedIn, where we typically post these things, and hopefully you'll find our next episodes coming up soon. So with that, Mike. Thank, thank you, you, everybody. Yeah, and we'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Bye.
拜。